Good morning, church. It's uh, great we can gather here today around God's Word, to hear God's Word, to worship Him together and to know Him better. Uh, we, thanks, uh, we give, give great thanks for this community that we have here at CPE Church, and it's great that you can join us today. Before um, I get into the message today, just a few quick announcements, a few quick prayer points, actually, uh, just to make you aware of a few things that you can be praying for. Um, in February this year, uh, if you remember, it was a little while ago, we actually voted to employ uh, extra uh, ministry staff, so a part-time associate pastor, and that's Felix Hui, uh, which we voted on in February. And time has really flown by because he will be actually be starting very soon um, in mid-July. So July 15th is actually his start date, and uh, he'll be joining us very soon, which is really exciting. We're really uh, excited to have him on board with us as we go forth in our mission to love God and make disciples. But something you can be doing is praying for him and his family as they uh, pack up their whole life in Sydney. Uh, they bring themselves up here, two young kids, a dog, potentially a cat as well. Uh, so they're going to be making a big move. It's very stressful, as you all know, if you've ever moved before. So please pray for them. And also then transition here into our communi- community. So please pray for that. And um, yeah, they'll be with us very soon in mid-July. Also, something you can be praying for is myself and uh, the team here at CPE Church. So myself, Patrick, our operations manager, um, Peter, our ministry apprentice, and Felix will all be going to a conference next week down in the Central Coast, New South Wales, called Reach Australia, where we'll be thinking about ministry and how to be reaching Australia with the gospel. Uh, So please pray for a good time there for us to be bonding as a team and uh, learning about how we can best be doing God's work. So uh, we're looking forward to that week, but it'll be a big week for us as well. So please pray for us there. So just a few quick prayer requests. Now, um, a little while ago, my daughter Natasha said this to me, and I'm sorry all my illustrations involve my kids, but it's life, isn't it? (laughs) That's the clearest thing in my head. So a little while ago, my daughter Natasha said this to me. She was uh, about four years old at the time, and she actually came up to me and she said, Daddy, I've got an idea for you. Why don't you pack up all the toys, then you can watch TV? <laughs> now, needless to say, I didn't listen to her. All right? I, didn't, I didn't listen to that. And it wasn't just because a little girl was trying to tell me what to do. Uh, because if I'm honest with myself, I just, I just generally don't like people telling me what to do. Yeah? I, don't, I don't like people imposing their will on me, telling me that I should be doing this and I shouldn't be doing that. Um, because... You know, that's just not who I am, all right? I just don't like that. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you're probably a bit like that too, right? Like, who likes actually being told what to do? Who likes someone having to tell them what's right and what's wrong, that you shouldn't be doing this and you should be doing that? I think it's pretty human for us actually to not want that, to actually uh, want to be independent, to want to choose for ourselves what we want to do, to say to to others, you can't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm the one that decides, yeah, this independent streak is really important for us as humans. That's what it means to be free, really, isn't it? Uh, but today we're going to talk about something we don't like. And that thing is obedience. Obedience. It's a, it's a little bit of a dirty word. Obedience is not a word that conjures up lots of uh, positive connotations. I don't know what your discussion was like before as you talked. Obedience is something that, you know, we actually... I think most of us actually think it's a good thing, but only when it comes to our dog or our children. When it comes to us, not so much. Not something we really like very much. But let me just put this out there early. That God 
cares about obedience. God cares about obedience. It's important to him. It's, it's, it's so vital to him and to us as a community of people under God. But why does obedience matter? Well, that's what we'll be looking at today in Deuteronomy 4. So uh, here's where we'll be going today. We're going to be looking at uh, point one is that we obey for life. And then we're going to have a look at the God who is near, the God who is righteous, and attractive obedience. Okay, So that's a bit of an outline of where we're going today. Now, if you weren't with us last week, just to give you a bit of a recap, Deuteronomy is a series of sermons by the prophet Moses on the border of the promised land, just before the people are going to go into the promised land. I'm not sure if I've got a map. Yep, so there's, there's a map there. So uh, they're up the top uh, of the map there in the plains of Moab, uh, just opposite the River Jordan to the land of Canaan, which is the promised land which they've been traveling towards for, for over for 40 years to try and uh, come to this land that God's promised to give them. And they're encamped in the plains of Moab, and Moses is giving them a sermon to actually say, this is how you are to live in the land. All right, so it's a vital time in Israel's history. In chapters 1 to 3 last week, we saw that um, he reminded Israel of their history, of what they've been doing up till now. He reminded them of how faithless they have been, that despite God being a faithful and powerful God, that they didn't trust in him, that they uh, trusted in themselves, that they rebelled, that they didn't want to listen to him, and because of that, they were punished that they didn't respond to God's grace. And Moses urges the Israelites to come back to God in this section that we're seeing today. He's highlighted the history that they haven't been with God. They've been rebelling, they've been faithless, and now he's calling on them to be faithful, come back to God. This chapter, in, uh, chapter 4, as Cece read to us, you would have noticed has some, so much there, so, so many key important concepts, so many key theological points that will drive forward Moses' sermon for the rest of this book. Um, I'll just give you a bit of an overview of what the chapter looks like here. So verses 1 to 8 talks about the privilege of the law, where Moses actually calls on the people to hear and obey the law and points out that it's such a privilege that you actually get to do that. Verses 9 to 31 is about worship of God alone, where Moses recounts <coughs> excuse me, the covenant established at Mount Sinai with the people. Uh, what a, how awesome it is that God actually speaks to his people, gives them this law, and then he calls on them to, just, uh, to make sure that they worship this God and this God alone. Because it's a very real danger when they go into land, they'll turn away. There's gods and false idols everywhere. And verses 32 to 40 is about the awesome God of salvation, where Moses essentially, he just reflects on who God is and what he's done for Israel that he's redeemed them out of slavery to Egypt, that he's been with them, that he saved them. Uh, and he's just reflecting and just praising God and saying, what a great God you have. You know, listen to him, respond rightly to him. Now, um, there's lots of things in this chapter, um, but we'll spend most of our time today actually in the first section, you know, that, little, that first section, because those other themes that I've brought up, we'll be talking about in more detail as we go along in the book of Deuteronomy, but that first section, there's some particular things that we'll want to be having a look at. And I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy 4, verse 1. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 4, verse 1. The opening verse. <coughs> now Israel, 
Hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Now this verse is a vital verse because this verse actually sets the tone for the rest of what Moses will be talking about here. Um, Moses' repeated call to Israel is to hear, to hear, hear the decrees and laws of God, hear God's word. Uh, in Hebrew, the word hears uh, doesn't just mean you know, some sound waves bounce off the ears, but hear means you listen, you obey. So Moses calls to hear, listen, obey, do the things that you hear. When you see God's word, when you hear God's word, then respond to it. That's his call. And that sets the tone for the rest of everything that he'll talk about in today's chapter, but also the rest of the book. Hear God's word. Hear God's word. And that's a call for us too, friends. But why? Well, the first reason, uh, and just a brief point on this one, is to obey for life. Because in verse 1, we see a reason already. Um, If you look at verse 1, it says, uh, Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to give you. Follow them so that you may live... And may go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God of your ancestors is giving you. So that you may live and take possession of the land. And what we see here is this life and possession of the land. Uh, These two things are intimately linked, actually. Because for Israel, what did it mean to live? Well, it was to take this land, this promised land and to live under God's good blessing and God's good rule and experience and enjoy the blessings of the land. But the key part of life here, what it actually means to live the good life, is to trust in His promise. We saw last week that God is a God who is faithful, that anything He says will happen. He will make it happen because He's faithful. But there's a very real element here that Will the Israelites actually experience and uh, enjoy the promise of God that they have to trust and obey in Him? That they actually have to do what He wants them to do, to, to be trusting in Him? This theme comes up again and again in Deuteronomy, that trusting and obeying God is the way to life. And we'll explore this again as we um, go throughout Deuteronomy. But there's one unique aspect of obedience that we find here in Deuteronomy 4. And I want you to have a look at verse 5 with me. Verse 5. It says this. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? So in these verses, we actually see a very unique aspect of what obedience actually does, that why why obedience is important. Because when Israel obeys what it will do, it will show that uh, God's wisdom and obedience to the world around them. Everyone around them, the rest of the nations, as they enter this land, the nations around them will look at Israel and say, what a great nation. 
What a great nation. What a wise and understanding nation. And Israel's obedience will show the world that they are great. But that's only because it points to the fact that they have a God who is great. And this is uh, where we'll be going to next, the God who is near. We'll see uh, what it will actually show the nations. So verse 7 actually says this. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? So this is one of the unique privileges of Israel. This is what they're showing people when they obey God's word. Right? This is what nations will be amazed at, to say, wow, look at this nation, look what they have. Um, this God that Israel has is near. Their God is near to them. Their God's relational. Their God is actually personal. Their God, when they can pray to their God, and when they pray, their God actually answers them. That's not like our gods. This is what all the other nations are thinking. In fact, um, when they prayed to their gods, they got no answer at all. Because their gods were just lifeless, idols, stone, and wood. Could their gods speak? No, their gods couldn't speak. But this is different from the God of Israel. And have a look at verse 10 with me. You skip forward a little bit to verse 10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that you may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then, you, then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and they wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at the time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now Moses uh, recounts Israel's history again, takes them back to Mount Sinai where they received the law, uh, where they received the Ten Commandments. Um, And he's uh, trying to teach them a few things here. But I want to talk briefly about the law first about the Old Testament commandments. Now, I think when we think about the commandments and we think about the law, uh, for Christians and non-Christians alike, it's not exactly a positive thing, is it? The law. Not something that um, we, we uphold as a really good thing. Because they seem like just a cold, impersonal list of do's and do-nots that God commands his people to do. It seems like just this burden that people, you know, that uh, are put on people's backs so that we have to do this and we're not allowed to do this. They don't seem very good at all. But I want to propose something to you today and something that we need to see as we go through this book. The law is good. The law is good. It's very good. Now let me show you why. Have a look at verse 13, um, which says this, He declared to you His covenant the Ten Commandments, which commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. Firstly, the word for commandments, as we look at the Ten Commandments, you know, very famous, we know them. Well, literally, the word there is word. Word. These, it, of course, they're words that must be obeyed, but these are ten words from God. 
This is God speaking to his people. This is God relating to his people. This is God coming near to his people. And the context he speaks in, what is it? It's covenant. Covenant. And the covenant is, covenants are not just some cold legal contract that you make with each other, but they are relationships. Relationships of promise between two parties. Think of the marriage covenant that two people enter into. What's it about? It's not, it's not about signing a piece of paper. It's about promises of love. It's about a relationship of coming together. It's commitment. You might have an idea of God as like some sort of CEO sort of figure, some far-off, powerful figure. Um, and then when he wants to deal with his people, he just sends his lawyer, you know, Moses, along <clears throat> to bring a whole bunch of paperwork to Israel to go, look, here's all the things you have to do. You sign those things off, and then you can have the land. Sort of like when you get a new house or something like that, or the, the mountain of paperwork that you have to go through. But I want you to get this image out of your head. Because God is not like that. God is a loving Father. And He relates to His people like a loving Father to His children. It's relationship. It's personal. Now, I don't communicate to my kids by calling them from the church office on my phone and saying, I'll have my people speak to your people. You know? I, that's just not how I do it. I'm sure no parents do that. I relate to my children by coming near to them, by sitting with them, by speaking with them, by hearing their request and what they desire, by, by teaching them, by guiding them, by helping them personally, intimate, face-to-face. And this is what God is like. This is how God relates to his people Israel here. You see, the fact that Israel has the law, the fact that Israel has the commandments, it is an amazing privilege. It is amazingly good because it means they have a God who is actually speaking to them, a God who is actually coming near and relating to them. He hasn't left them in the dark. He's not some far-off figure who doesn't care, but he's come and spoken to them and shown them the way to live, that this is good, that I desire this of you because I care about you. He's personal. He's relational. This is a God who cares. A God they can know because he's spoken his word to them. You know, Israel never sees God. They never see God. But they know God. Why? Because he speaks to them. And it is his word that reveals who he is. Not only this, he's a God they can speak to as well. Because they're called to pray, bring their requests to him, to relate to him. Uh, the relationship, it's a two-way thing. And as he speaks to them, his people speak to him, and he delights in this, and he hears them. And friends, this is the same God we have. This is our God too. We have a God who is near We have a God who is personal. We have a God who relates to us, who speaks to us. We can know God. How? Well, have a look at John 1.14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus Christ comes, and what is his title? What is his name? He is the Word embodied. He is the one that reveals God to us. He is the means by which God comes near. He's the way by which relationship is possible with God. You see, when God relates to his people, it's always through his word. In the Old Testament history, it was through, through the law that he gave them and spoke to them, his good instructions through the Torah. In the, in the New Testament, as um, Jesus comes, this is the ultimate culmination of what the word actually is, who the word is. It's Jesus. Because he's the ultimate expression of God and who he is. And as Jesus comes to this world, the word he speaks is this. It's the gospel. The news that if you turn away from your sins and trust in him and his death, that you will have life, eternal life. If you trust in Jesus Christ, that you will have the privilege of being near to God, of knowing God, of having a personal, intimate relationship with God. The Spirit lives in us. The Son, He mediates for us. And the Father, He embraces us in His his arms as His children. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, I would ask you to just take a minute to meditate on just the privilege you have. The privilege you have. The fact that you can call God Father. The fact that you can draw near to Him. The fact that He desires to draw near to you. That He he wants to know you. That He wants to have a relationship with you. And that through the word of the gospel, the words that we have each and every day, the words that we take for granted often, that we can have a relationship and we can have new life with God. The God of the universe. Do you see what a privilege that is? That is something that is amazing. And even the world can look at that and say, this is amazing. What other God is like this? This is unique. You know, one of the big obstacles for um, Muslims actually becoming Christian is the fact that we have a God who is near. That's, that's an obstacle because in, in their mind, that's, that's not possible. How is it possible that the God of the universe, how is it possible that Allah can come near and uh, to the level of humans, to condescend himself, to actually want to relate to humans? That, um, how, how can God come to earth as a man, the incarnation, and lower himself to that uh, for the sake of relating to his people? It's impossible. God would not do that. That's what they think. But friends, our God has... He comes, and he gives it all. He comes as a man. He loathes himself, and he dies on the cross for the sake of knowing us and relating to us and being in relationship with us. What other nations have a God like this? None. No one. There's no other God like this. So, brothers and sisters, I'd ask for you to know this privilege that you have. Do you treasure this? The fact that you can know God intimately and personally, that through the word of the gospel given to us, that we can have relationship with him. What a privilege.
What a privilege. There is no other God who is like our God, who is near like our God. And there's also no other God who is righteous like our God. Uh, Point three, the God who is righteous. Have a look at the second reason that the nations are amazed at who God is, and that's in verse eight. What other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Is what Moses says to the people. Once again, here's the point that the law is good. Did you notice that? The law is good because it reveals the right way to live. Um, It reveals the good way to live. It reveals the shape of the good life. And no other nations have laws like this. The law is righteous, utterly and completely righteous. Why? Because the one who speaks it is righteous. The law, God's word, is a reflection of who he is. This is how he reveals himself. He is the righteous God, the only righteous God. And even the pagan nations around Israel can see this. They see the goodness and instruction, uh, the goodness and righteousness of God's instruction as he gives it to his people. They can see the goodness of the way of life that Israel lives. And they think, wow, what a great nation. Look at the way they live. Their God must be great. That's what they think. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because you and I both know that our behavior is a reflection of the ones that we follow. Now, when kids misbehave, uh, who do you normally look to, right? Obviously, there's, the kids are responsible, but you look to their parents, don't you? Uh, you because, and that there's, a good, there's a rightfulness in that because kids are a reflection of their parents. Kids are a reflection of the way that their parents have raised them and what their parents have set before them. Kids are a reflection of uh, the way of life that the parents have deemed as good. Uh, Parents are the ones that set the norms of right and wrong. Parents are the ones that set the the culture of what's acceptable and what's not. And parents are the ones that communicate what good living looks like. And sure, I know as well as anyone that kids rebel. They don't live like they're supposed to. We do our best as parents to do that, but... It doesn't change the fact that in a very real sense that children are a reflection of their parents. And it's the same with Israel and God. Because the righteous God has given them uh, righteous laws to regulate their life, to show them the good and right way to live, to show them what the good life looks like, how to live that out. And if they obey and they listen and they live this righteous life, then it actually points back to God that their God is a God who is righteous and a God who is good, and it glorifies God. But in the same sense, if they don't obey, if they choose to not listen and to live in sin, then it greatly dishonors God because it represents their nations that this is what our God is like. He's not worth following, or He's a God that delights in these things. So the call for Israel is to obey for the sake of God's glory. Obey for the sake of God's glory. Obedience matters. And friends, it's the same for us today. Because our obedience means God's glory. Our obedience means God's glory. Here's the thing, friends. 
If you're a Christian, whether you like it or not, you represent God. You represent God. Your way of life, what you do, what you say, it's a reflection of who God is. You are an ambassador of Christ in this world. Everything that you do is a reflection of the one that you follow. So not, that doesn't only mean that you know, if you've got a little Jesus fish stick on your car, you better watch how you drive, you know, which is true, you should. That's all of life. Because how you live reflects the God that you follow. So, for example, if you're a person that people can't trust, then what does that say about your God? It either says that your God is a God who approves of this sort of behavior, or that you're following your God, the example of your God, who's an untrustworthy God, a God who's deceitful, a God who lies. He's not trustworthy. If you've got a bad temper, you're showing people that this is your God, that your God's an angry God. You sleep around, you show your people, uh, you show people around you that uh, your God is not holy, that your God is faithless, that He's not faithful. If you love money and pleasure and the things of this world, well, you show pe- you show the world around you that your God doesn't matter because you're living exactly the same way as every single other person here. Do you see how it works? Do you see that our behavior, our obedience is a reflection of who our God is? What do people say about you? What do they say about you? Because that's what they're saying about your God. The core here, friends, is for obedience. To live a life which is righteous, which is holy, because we worship a holy and righteous God. And this way of life is attractive to the world around us. It's attractive. Now, the word attractive and obedience are not two words that you normally would put together. Um, they're, they're not, they don't really belong together. I don't know the last movie that... I don't know if you've ever seen a movie where the main star is um, some obedient Asian kid who just does his homework all the time. You know, normally it's, uh, you know, more, more like, you know, Arnie, uh, you know, a bit of a rebel, you know, tattoos, rides a motorbike, he bends the rules, you know, to get the job done. You know, that's, that's normally the sort of people that we hold up as heroes, right? The stars. That's cool. But here in Deuteronomy 4, it tells us that Obedience actually is attractive. Obedience really matters. Your obedience to God's word, uh, which results in a righteous way of life, means that those around you actually say, wow, that's good. I wish I had that. You can imagine when you live in line with what God's word actually has to say, that when you live getting rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, that you don't fight, that you don't hate uh, that you're kind and compassionate to one another, that you, that you forgive one another, just as Jesus has forgiven you, when people actually see that, that they, they can actually see that that's good. That is good. That way of life, it actually draws people in, and it draws people to God. Because our obedience means God's glory. Our obedience means God's glory. And isn't that what you want? 
Don't you want God to be glorified? God has shown us such immense grace. He's given us so much. He's brought us into relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. We didn't do anything to deserve that. That's something to give thanks for and praise. But that's something that we should want the whole world to have as well. To praise and worship and glorify God because He deserves it. Don't you want to see God glorified, friends? Well, you should because He's our God. And he deserves it. We need to point as many people as we can to how great and glorious he is. So when you seek, when you live your life, think about how you're living. Because it reflects on God. When you live seeking justice for the press, it shows that you have a God who loves justice. When you live seeking to love others self-sacrificially, it shows to people, your God is a God of love. When, it, when you live in holiness and purity, it shows that your God is holy. It declares to the world that when you live a transformed life, it shows that your God is actually powerful to change and change lives. When you don't live selfishly for yourself anymore, it shows that uh, Jesus is your God and that you have a new king. It's not yourself. When you rejoice in following God's ways and doing what God says, then it declares to the world that your God is good. That it's not a burden to live this life, but it's actually so good and amazing. And your way of life actually declares to the world what sort of God that you have. That your behavior matters. Your obedience matters. Friends, you represent God to this world. You are an ambassador of Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, that is who you are. So who do people think your God is? Friends, our obedience is vital. It's vital in God's mission in this world to bring people to himself. It's vital. Our vision this year is loving like Jesus, where we're seeking to create a culture of warm and intentional welcoming and love to everyone uh, that walks through the doors in our church. And one of the big reasons uh, we're focusing on this vision is because we want people to come in here and we want people to stay and hear the gospel. And we want people to come into this community and uh, to actually feel welcomed and to feel loved and to think to themselves, wow, there's something different about this place. There's something different about this community. Wow, I wish... I had that. But more so, we want people to come into this place and feel that warmth and that love and that Christ-like love. And we want people to say, wow, I wish I had that God. Because our obedience, it means God's glory. And the call for every single Christian here is to live a missional life of obedience to God's word. Because this commends the gospel to all those around you. And it is the vital path for you to take so that you can actually speak the life-giving words of the gospel to all those around you. No one's going to listen to you if you don't live out what you believe. It's a weighty responsibility, friends. And at times, we will fail. But when this happens, let me urge you to fall back on Jesus to keep trusting in his forgiveness that he's won for you on the cross, to humble yourself and repent. 
And even in that, friends, even as you, you humble yourself and you repent and you turn back to God, then that's, uh, that gives glory to God, doesn't it? In the way that you live, continually depending on Him to show that He's a God that forgives and a God who empowers us to keep living for Him. Our obedience means God's glory. Our obedience declares that God is a God who has come near to us through his word. Our obedience declares that God is a good and righteous God and his way of life is good and righteous. Our obedience declares who God is. So who do people think your God is? Let me pray. Father God, we pray and we thank you for Christ Jesus, your word revealed to us the one who brings us close to you, the one who enables relationship with you. And we thank you that with Jesus as our King, we are called to a new way of life and a way of life which is righteous and good and which actually commends the gospel to this world around us. May we live in obedience, not as a burden, not as this thing that we just have to do, but as a joy, as a privilege, because as we obey, it gives you glory. So help us, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Transform us to live in obedience so that more and more people will praise and honor your name and say, wow, this God is amazing. And we pray all these things, not for our sake, but for yours, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.